Chapter Seventeen of Life in the Grey Nunnery at Montreal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Life in the Grey Nunnery at Montreal by Sarah J. Richardson. Chapter Seventeen The Torture Room. I remember hearing a gentleman at the depot remark that the very enormity of the crimes committed by the Romanists is their best protection. For, said he, some of their practices are so shockingly infamous, they may not even be alluded to in the presence of the refined and the virtuous. And if the story of their guilt were told, who would believe the tale? Far easier would it be to call the whole a slanderous fabrication than to believe that man can be so vile. This consideration led me to doubt the propriety of attempting a description of what I saw in that room. But I have engaged to give a faithful narrative of what transpired in the nunnery, and shall I leave out a part, because it is so strange and monstrous that people will not believe it? No, I will tell without the least exaggeration what I saw, heard, and experienced. People may not credit the story now, but a day will surely come when they know that I speak the truth. As I entered the room, I was exceedingly shocked at the horrid spectacle that met my eye. I knew that fearful scenes were enacted in the subterranean cells, but I never imagined anything half so terrible as this. In various parts of the room I saw machines and instruments of torture, and on some of them persons were confined who seemed to be suffering the most excruciating agony. I paused, utterly overcome with terror, and for a moment imagined that I was a witness to the torments which the priests say are endured by the lost in the world of woe. Was I to undergo such tortures, and which of those infernal engines would be applied to me? I was not long in doubt. The priest took hold of me, and put me in a machine that held me fast, while my feet rested on a piece of iron, which was gradually heated, until both feet were blistered. I think I must have been there fifteen minutes, but perhaps the time seemed longer than it was. He then took me out, put some ointment on my feet, and left me. I was now at liberty to examine more minutely the strange objects around me. There were some persons in the place whose punishment, like my own, was light compared with others, but near me lay one old lady extended on a rack. Her joints were all dislocated, and she was emaciated to the last degree. I do not suppose I can describe this rack, for I never saw anything like it. It looked like a gridiron, but was long enough for the tallest man to lie upon. There were large rollers at each end, to which belts were attached, 
with a large lever to drive them back and forth. Upon this rack the poor woman was fastened in such a way that when the levers were turned and the rollers made to revolve, every bone in her body was displaced. Then the violent strain would be relaxed a little, and she was so very poor her skin would sink into the joints and remain there till it mortified and corrupted. It was enough to melt the hardest heart to witness her agony, but she bore it with a degree of fortitude and patience I could not have supposed possible, had I not been compelled to behold it. When I entered the room, she looked up and said, Have you come to release me, or only to suffer with me? I did not dare to reply, for the priest was there, but when he left us, she exclaimed, My child, let nothing induce you to believe this cursed religion. It will be the death of you, and that death will be the death of a dog. I suppose she meant that they would kill me as they would a dog. She then asked, Who put you here? My father, said I. He must have been a brute, said she, or he could never have done it. At one time I happened to mention the name of God, when she fiercely exclaimed with gestures of contempt, A God? You believe there is one, do you? Don't you suffer yourself to believe any such thing? Think you that a wise, merciful, and all-powerful being would allow such a hell as this to exist? Would he suffer me to be torn from friends and home, from my poor children, and all that my soul holds dear, to be confined in this den of iniquity and tortured to death in this cruel manner? No. Oh, no. He would at once destroy these monsters in human form. He would not suffer them for one moment to breathe the pure air of heaven. At another time she exclaimed, Oh, my children, my poor motherless children, what will become of them? God of mercy protect my children. Thus at one moment she would say there was no God, and the next pray to him for help. This did not surprise me for she was in such intolerable misery, she did not realize what she did say. Every few hours the priest came in and gave the rollers a turn, when her joints would crack, and, but I cannot describe it, the sight made me sick and faint at the time, as the recollection of it does now. It seemed as though that man must have had a heart of adamant, or he could not have done it. She would shriek and groan and weep, but it did not affect him in the least. He was as calm and deliberate as though he had a block of wood in his hands instead of a human being. When I saw him coming, I once shook my head at her to have her stop speaking, but when he was gone she said, don't shake your head at me, I do not fear him. He can but kill me, and the quicker he does it, the better. I would be glad if he would put an end to my misery at once, but that would be too merciful. 
he is determined to kill me by inches, and it makes no difference what I say to him. She had no food or drink during the three days I was there, and the priest never spoke to her. He brought me my bread and water regularly, and I would gladly have given it to that poor woman if she would have taken it. But she would not accept the offer. It would only prolong her sufferings, and she wished to die. I do not suppose she could have lived had she been taken out when I first saw her. In another part of the room a monk was under punishment. He was standing in some kind of a machine, with heavy weights attached to his feet, and a belt passed across his breast under his arms. He appeared to be in great distress, and no refreshment was furnished him while I was there. On one side of the room I observed a closet with a slide door, as the nuns called them. There were several doors of this description in the building, so constructed as to slide back into the ceiling out of sight. Through this opening I could see an image resembling a monk, and whenever anyone was put in there they would shriek and groan and beg to be taken out, but I could not ascertain the cause of their suffering. One day a nun was brought in to be punished. The priest led her up to the side of the room and bade her put her fingers into some holes in the wall just large enough to admit them. She obeyed, but immediately drew them back with a loud shriek. I looked to see what was the matter with her, and lo, every nail was torn from her fingers, which were bleeding profusely. How it was done I do not know. Certainly there was no visible cause for such a surprising effect. In all probability the fingers came in contact with the spring of some machine on the other side, or within the wall to which some sharp instrument was attached. I would give much to know just how it was constructed, and what the girl had done to subject herself to such a terrible and unheard-of punishment. But this, like many other things in that establishment, was wrapped in impenetrable mystery. God only knows when the veil will be removed, or whether it ever will be until the day when all secret things will be brought to light. When the three days expired, I was taken out of this room, but did not go to work again until my feet were healed. I was then obliged to assist in milking the cows, and taking care of the milk. They had a large number of cows, I believe thirty-five, and dairy rooms with everything convenient for making butter and cheese. When first directed to go out and milk, I was pleased with the idea, for I had hoped to find an opportunity to escape, but I was again disappointed. In the cow-yard, as elsewhere, every precaution was taken to prevent it. Passing out of the main yard of the convent through a small door, I found myself in a small, neat yard, surrounded by a high fence, so that nothing could be seen but the sky overhead. The cows were driven in, and the door immediately locked, so that escape from that place seemed impossible. 
At harvest time, in company with twenty other nuns, I was taken out into the country to the residence of the monks. The ride out there was a great treat, and very much enjoyed by us all. I believe it was about five miles through a part of the city of Montreal, the north part, I think, but I am not sure. We stopped before a large white stone building, situated in the midst of a large yard like the one at the nunnery. A beautiful walk, paved with stone, led from the gate to the front door, and from thence around the house. Within the yard there was also a delightful garden, with neat, well-kept walks laid out in various directions. Before the front door there stood a large cross. I think I never saw a more charming place. It appeared to me a perfect paradise. I heard one of the priests say that the farm consisted of four hundred acres and belonged to the nunnery. The house was kept by two widow ladies who were married before they embraced the Romish faith. They were the only women on the place previous to our arrival, and I think they must have found it very laborious work to wait on so many monks. I do not know their number, but there was a great many of them, beside a large family of boys, who, I supposed, were being educated for priests or monks. Immediately on our arrival, a part of our number were set to work in the fields, while the rest were kept in the house to assist the women. I hoped that I might be one of these, but disappointment was again my lot. I was sent to the field with the others, and set to reaping, a priest being stationed near, to guard us and oversee our work. We were watched very closely, one priest having charge of two nuns, for whose safekeeping he was responsible. Here we labored until the harvest was all gathered in. I dug potatoes, cut up corn and husked it, gathered apples, and did all kinds of work that is usually done by men in the fall of the year. Yet I was never allowed to wear a bonnet on my head, or anything to shield me from the piercing rays of the sun. Some days the heat was almost intolerable, and my cap was not the least protection, but they allowed me no other covering. In consequence of this exposure, my head soon became the seat of severe neuralgic pain, which caused me at times to linger over my work. But this was not permitted. My movements were immediately quickened, for the work must be done notwithstanding the severe pain. Every command must be obeyed, whatever the result. At night a part of our number were taken to the nunnery, and the rest of us locked up in our rooms in the house. We were not permitted to take our meals with the two housekeepers, but a table was set for us in another room. One would think that when gathering the fruit we would be allowed to partake of it, or at least to taste it. But this was not allowed, and as a priest's eye was ever upon us, we dare not disobey, however much we might wish to do so. I used to wonder if the two women who kept the house 
were as severely dealt with as we were, but had no means whereby to satisfy my curiosity. They were not allowed to converse with us, and we might not speak to them, or even look them in the face. Here, as at the nunnery, we were obliged to walk with the head bent forward a little, the eyes fixed on the floor, one hand, if disengaged, under the cape, the other down by the side, and on no occasion might we look a person in the face. The two women seemed to be governed by the same rules that we were, and subject to the same masters. I used to think a great deal about them, and longed to know their history. They wore blue dresses with white caps and white handkerchiefs on their necks. Their life, I think, was a hard one. End of chapter 17